So thanks, guys. Life goes on. Hey, so we have been um, the last, gosh, five, six weeks now, talking out of Colossians, the first chapter. I like to wrap up a, a series of thoughts out of um, the Word, just kind of uh, with a review. And that's not, that's I haven't figured out the right word for that. You should do great at Kids Church. They might kick you out. The ch- children's minister is following you right now. You're really in trouble. So um, I love to just kind of stop and say, okay, where have we been the last five weeks? And what's God done? And what's happening? And uh, and it's been pretty rich. If, if I could say in Colossians 1, 15 through 23, there could be a good thematic in Scripture. I would say John the Baptist kind of nailed it. The more we've gone through this series, the more we've kind of said it's we've got to get a lot smaller and we really have to make a much of Jesus. We really want Christ to become the center point of what we're about. And uh, he said that just so um, so you don't think this is any of my ideas. This is really great words out of Colossians 1 verses 15 through 17. If you remember, gosh, it's been five weeks ago now, uh, Dr. David just stood up and, and taught these verses in such a profound manner where it says um, about the supremacy of Christ in all things. He, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or rulers or powers or authorities. All things were created by Him. And I love this verse. And oh, by the way, you who were created... You're part of that whole equation. You were created for Him. You were created for His glory. And, and what Paul's basically setting up, and you're going to see as we walk through the five statements that we've, we've had, which are on the back of your worship guide, the five statements have really just been shrinking down our story and making much of Jesus. And, and Dr. Davis spent a good bit of time in that first week just saying, can you grasp this? Because here's what was happening to the church at Colossae in their own unique form. The same thing that happens with us. We decide that we like to create a framework of comfortability with who Christ is and stick him into our framework and say, you be a good little boy and stay there. And and here's what I read in the Old and New Testament. A consuming fire doesn't respond well to that. And our God is a consuming fire. He is the king of glory. He is, and as Paul stepped into Colossae, he said things like, he is the firstborn over all creation. He is the one that's spoken into being. He is a supreme God. And you could just, I mean, you could get pretty excited about that. And he comes in and says, so you who want him to fit your story, he won't. And so I'm going to explode your story. Theirs was a Gnosticism story. Ours, we have all of our own stories in this room. Many of them are individualized to what we want to do to make Jesus fit us. Many churches develop their own little stories and frameworks to say, here's who you are, God. We're going to box that in. And that doesn't work. As great of a sermon as Dr. Davis gave that day, I listened to a guy who I think captured this first thought, this first idea that Jesus is and must be the supreme desire of our souls. Uh, it's one of a, a great old pastor, African-American pastor, and he just started speaking one day, and somebody, by the blessings of God, happened to record this. And he, he spoke a sermon, and he just basically said words that will resonate in just a few minutes. That's my king. And so if we can pause for a moment and park on the first idea of Jesus is supreme, can we just park right here? Would you just turn your eyes to the screen and let's, um, let's think about him for a little bit. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. 
He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if... of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. That's my king. Amen. Doc, he did a pretty good job with Jesus, didn't he? I wish. And do you, I mean, that's the question. Do you know him? And that's the goal, is that the more we know of that sovereign sufficiency of God, I mean, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start dancing on the stage in a minute and go, well, you know, I mean, I just, I feel this, this passion that Paul felt, that this incredible pastor felt to say, 
We want you to understand, church, we want you to understand that we gather around an all-sufficient, all-consuming, all-glorious, all-powerful, all-creative, all-wonderful, all-magnificent, all-gracious, all-saving God. And we gather and we say, Lord, because we do that, we worship you and we adore you and we give you what you deserve. We come together as your church, church at Colossae, church here in Mandarin. The church that gathers in Crestview, we come together as your church and we tell you that you are the King of glory. And then we welcome you to come in among us. And I, and I love this song. I love that. I love church. I think churches, churches a lot of times, um, we make it far too clean. I love what God is doing in this room this morning in that we stand around and celebrate some things that God's doing. Kids in Atlanta, things going on around the world, 65 years of marriage. And we also were gathering at an altar with a couple who had buried their son recently. And just to say, this is what church looks like. Church is a group of people who gather together, those who are hurting, those who are broken, those who are celebrating, those who are mourning, those who are laughing, those who are weeping, and we gather all saying, we have a King of glory. And we worship Him, and He is He is sufficient even when we wonder, even when the minutes of our doubt, even in the moments when we, we don't know, God, if we can take another step, we continue to breathe in you and we continue to partner with your church because, God, you are sufficient. And, and I love this verse in Colossians 1. It says, and you hold us together. I hadn't seen that version of the video until this morning. I'm glad we got to see all of it because I love that things break apart in life and then we bring them back together and we see the reality and the face and the picture of the sovereign Christ. So we just started this series and Dr. Davis did a great job of just telling us, I want you to know that Jesus is supreme. That's who he is. He is the, and I think it's interesting that he's the head of the church. And, and just a statement that I shared in week two when I said, you know, he, he moved on here from, isn't it interesting? Jesus is supreme. Jesus is sufficient. He is all you need. And oh, by the way, he leads this group called the church. He's the head of this organization. He leads that. There's no deacon by that leads. There's, that's not even their desire here. There's no pastor that leads, although we've been given leadership roles. There, there's no, no people or power structure that leads. It is a group of people whose story is getting smaller and who are wanting to amplify the story of Jesus Christ. And he's the leader of this thing. And I love it. It's interesting to me in Colossians 1, give or take 18, as you have your Bible wide open or your app wide open, you can just see that. Not only does it say he leads the church, but he is the firstborn among the dead. In other words, in the midst of all this, Jesus is resurrected through his church. He is living the resurrection and walking it out among us. And the sentence that I wrote down that I just think is, personally I think is awesome, is God is looking for ordinary people to play significant stories in his extraordinary kingdom. And a lot of us haven't, haven't bought into that yet to understand that we're sitting saying, you know, I'm frail, I'm aged, I'm young, I'm old. I don't know what your deal is. That was the same thing that we happened when we titled this series, The I Am. Because Moses had to wrestle out his frailties and his brokenness and his stuttering and the fact that he was 80 years old and that the fact that he lived in the middle of nowhere on the other side of nowhere, he didn't just move to nowhere and put down that zip code. He went to the other side of nowhere and lived over there. And he said, you know what? In the middle of all this, God is coming and meeting me in a bush. And I'm having a conversation with him. And oh, by the way, God in the middle of this extraordinary moment looks at him and says, millions are going to be liberated. 
So we're sitting here in Jacksonville, Florida, which isn't necessarily the middle of nowhere. So we don't have Moses' story in that. We're sitting in a church that's been around the word for a long time. I don't know what our story is with that. We're sitting in a room with us who have been followers of Jesus, many of us for a long time. So I don't know what our frailties and brokenness is, but here's what I'm, here's what I'm thinking. Just like Moses, Jesus is sitting in front of a bunch of people, you know, give or take three or four hundred of us today, looking at us and saying, I believe that I want to liberate nations. I believe I want thousands. I'm wearing Rick Wheeler's bracelet. I believe particularly I want 651,000 and the other hundred so that go with it who all have a face to know me. And so I believe I apostered you to believe that you're sitting in the middle of an extraordinary movement of God. And so if you came to church today, please, please, please don't shrink it down to some image of a bunch of people who are walking through an hour. The church of Jesus Christ is a group of people who believe that God wants to do extraordinary things through us. Bigger than, thank you so much, bigger than anything we can ask or imagine. Bigger than anything we can pull off. And if the greatest thing is something that we can pull off in committee, we're not the church. If the greatest thing is something we can pull off in, the, in a series of classes or in a series of something. No, no. When we have Jesus moving among us, he is the firstborn from among the dead. And the firstborn from among the dead steps in the places of death and resurrects them to life. And he steps in the middle of the hurting and hard places and says, here is hope, here is promise, here is me, here I come. And here's what's crazy about that. He chooses to do that through his church. And he's, I mean, I, I fundamentally believe he doesn't limit himself to his church, but he chooses to reveal himself through his church, reveal his purposes, his ways through his people. And so just, I don't know, the sentence I jotted is, it's God is looking. I mean, look at look, script Chronicle says, God is looking throughout the land for a people whose hearts are moving toward his heart. And as I read Jesus' first words, his heart are moving toward the broken. His heart is moving to the captive. His heart is moving to the blind. His heart is moving toward the imprisoned. And you can run with that physically or spiritually because I think Jesus runs to both. And he comes to set them free. Yeah, for me personally, that was a moment when I felt responsibility or obligation. So Lord, you want to use your church for your glory as you live resurrected through us. And there should be resurrection stories happening here all the time. Stories of God's movement among us and God just breathing his life because he is before all things. And in him, verse 17, all things are held together. Praise God. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. And here's why. So that in him, everything, in Jesus Christ, all things have supremacy. Don't you feel your story getting smaller? If you don't, that's the point of this, that our story is getting smaller because the church is just exploding and there's a greater story. And it's the story of Jesus Christ that is made manifest among us. And that story is eternal. The story is a beautiful story. And so I just... I just, I mean, just in case I wrote this verse down in my notes, just in case you're wondering, I have so many frailties. Colossians 1, not Colossians, Corinthians says, God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So if you're kind of sitting in this room going, thank you, pastor. Um, I, Manny was so encouraging. He just said, not, yeah, it was. Manny just turned to me and just said something nice. No, it couldn't have been you. That was not Manny. Who was sitting beside me and I go, just said the encouraging thing. This isn't some 
pastoral excited moment. This is the word of God that is parked next to you saying, I want to live and flesh out my life through you. And just in case you're sitting in this room and you're feeling like, ah, oh, I can't, I'm, I can't I, fill in your blank. I got this going on. I can't do this. This is my life circumstance. I love this verse. He uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Here's great news for us as a church. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and his things. I love this. I love this. The things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him, but we boast only in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so we're, he's just looking at the number two thought as we walked through this series was God's just looking among his church and he's looking for ordinary people who will step into an extraordinary story of God and will believe that He is God and believe that Jesus is sufficient, that will believe that the story is not about us or our frailties, but the story is an all-sufficient, all-supreme God living among us. And we will move our lives around as if this is true of us and that He is the center point of this story. Don't you feel your story decreasing as we walk through the book of Colossians? The third statement that we shared in week three of this series was this. To see Christ for who He is and what He has done is to see who we become in Him and what He can and will do through us. It's just a, this, this is where Paul just kept going and saying, Look, I just, just in case you're wondering about your frailty, here's what you should know. Here's, in fact, I don't have good enough words for this. Here's what you should know. For God was pleased to have all the fullness of, of, of Himself dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things. Were the things on earth or things in heaven? And here's good news. He have made peace through his blood shed on the cross. And here's even better news. You were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. And he is presenting you holy in his sight without blemish. And you are, and you are, and you are in him free from accusation. I mean, I know we were parked on that, but I'm, I'm sorry. I just feel like if my story is going to continue to become smaller and his story is going to be great, I'm going to see, have to see him for who he is and what he has done and see him for who I am and what he has done in and through me and believe that he will act and will for his good purposes because of who he is. Because, because I mean, I just, the words that came out that I shared that week, and so I'll just kind of be brief with these words, just the idea that I've been justified in Jesus Christ which is a legal term literally meaning once and forever I have been made whole before God. Therefore, I have peace with God. Praise you, Lord. Because I have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, meaning that you and I brought baggage to the table that we could not pay for. We brought mess and evil behavior and struggles and strife. And just in case you're in the room, just kind of wondering, can I finally be good enough for God? I don't care how good you become. You will never make that. And that's what makes grace and that's what makes the gospel so amazing in his church. Because the gospel comes and says, no, no, he bought you back in the middle of your miry clay and he lifted you out and he seated you on the rock and now you know. You know that you're no longer standing under accusation. You're no longer at odds with God. Listen to this, listen to this. You as a follower of Jesus have peace with God where you had enmity prior. When all that's happening, the church just starts to say, oh my goodness, Lord, oh my gracious, your story is amazing. To see Christ for who He is and what He has done is to see who we have become in Him 
And what he can, and I love this second sentence, and will do through us as our story becomes more and more shrunken. And as John the Baptist says, as I decrease, Lord, and you increase through me. And then he, then he just flips the table and he says, and he says the big if statement, which I think is, could be translated in a lot of ways. If indeed, inasmuch. And he says, if you endure. And I, I love this statement. I think we can kind of mess with this and say, oh, what is he saying with us? When the, I, I love this. Your actions don't produce your salvation. They prove your, they, they just prove it. And I, that's such a powerful sentence because he, he says that. I just want to read it so you don't think that there's anything weird coming from me. So your holiness sight, you're without blemish, you're free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, indeed, inasmuch as, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out for the gospel. This is the gospel you've heard in L2. And he's looking at them and saying, look, look, when you start, church, when you start to get crazy about this idea that you've been redeemed by God, when you begin to be moved by the idea that you're justified by God, when you understand the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ, listen, listen, your actions won't prove your salvation or your actions won't produce it. You're not ever trying to earn anything with God. You can't. That's his whole point. You just simply are fleshing it out. And there should be these stories of God's greatness and his goodness that are flowing all over the place here. And there should be proving ground in this place. I mean, we roll in here week in and week out, looking at each other going, wow, wow, wow. Let me tell you how Jesus is moving in my heart today. Because I am enduring to the end. I lovingly and passionately beg of the people that are senior saints in this room, run as hard as you can so you can teach a 46-year-old what it means to run after Jesus. And I really want to look at the 17, 18, and 19-year-olds and say, you won't out-impassion me. I will show you how to hit middle age, and you don't have to have a crisis because there is no crisis in Jesus Christ. You don't have to run through it and explode everything in your life because your fullness, your sufficiency, and your life is in Him. And so glorify Him in everything you do. And when you're 46, just hope you can hook up with life with friends who change a a nation and a continent. Just hope you share life for seven years and you sell your stuff together so that Swaziland drinks clean water, gives whole new picture to give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. It wasn't a metaphor. It was reality and passion as God said, look, look, as you run together, as the church runs together, I look out at your faces and I am so excited. The sentence that we read as we were praying about coming here is running with people who are charging after heaven. I can't imagine what God wants to do as we chase Christ together. And listen, your actions will not produce your salvation, but your actions will show whether you do or do not know Jesus Christ. Unequivocally. And we should, we should be crystal clear. And then maybe the last sentence that we said, this last sentence I've been percolating on for a solid month or more. And I just, I was listening to a guy talk about the gospel and this sentence just permeated my soul. Maybe the gospel isn't advancing. Maybe the gospel isn't beautiful out there because it's not compelling in here. So I put it in the positive light. I put it in the positive light in your notes because we could say we're not, you know, negative and Debbie Downer in church. When the gospel is compelling among the saved, it will be glorious among those who don't yet know him. When the God, I mean, that's what I see. I say, I shared this with our students this morning. I got to kind of lead the way because Ryan's doing the little vacation thing and having a good time away. And so I got to sit with him. And I said, look, look, it's, it's when, when the book of Acts, not everybody accepted Jesus in the book of Acts. 
But I love this sentence about them. They said they looked at them as they, as they sold stuff, as they loved each other, as they ate meals together, as they laughed together, as they shared life together, as, as literally, I mean, this, this happened in the Acts church as the dead were, were raised, as, as people who were terrifically ill became whole, as salvation was happening day in and day out, every day somebody was saved. The people who were a part of that, that were looking in on that, they were looking in and saying, look, we love, this verse is just moves me. We're in awe of what God is doing. And it's the outsiders who don't yet believe. And I looked at our students, I said, isn't it the weirdest thing? Isn't it the weirdest thing for, for most of us? Um, I was talking to the younger crowd. I don't know if this is true of us. But, but, but we, we don't have people looking in at us and saying, even though we don't yet believe, we think you guys are awesome. In fact, the antithesis happens in the church. We kind of just, particularly with students, we want to, we think that something is beautiful out there and therefore they have what we want. So we're chasing that. And maybe, just maybe adults in the room, the reason that it's not beautiful to students is because it's not compelling among us. And they're, they're just kind of looking and going, I, I want to see big stories. I want to see stories. I want to see the gospel alive among you. And maybe, just maybe, the gospel is not compelling to the lost because it is not compelling among the saved. And may that rend our hearts for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, we just look and say, oh God, I was sitting in, I had a moment, I had a moment that was such a good moment. It was a New Testament moment. I always love New Testament moments. New Testament moments for me when you're, when you're just sitting in and going, I mean, you're just sitting in having a conversation with people and you just look and go, whoops, this could fit here. I love Francis Chan. He's kind of the first guy I heard say that. I just want my life to fit in these pages. You know, like the things that are going on, you could actually turn to Acts and go, yeah, that could have happened. And I was sitting in, I was sitting with Kim in a group, and I just, I've already shared a little bit of the story, but not all of it, the ILC. I was just sitting and they started telling these stories, and I was freaking out. I don't even know if your newsletter's out, but I just wrote this for her newsletter this week. I was sitting in, and they're just starting to talk, and they're just sharing about, about the gospel coming alive among people from the Middle East and Central Asia, and people who are coming to know the Lord, churches being planted, persecutions that are happening, sickness and yet endurance going on. And I mean, they're just telling stories. They're giving like the overview of the last year. And, and I didn't do this. This was my first ever meeting to sit in with them. And so I didn't want them to think I was completely nuts. I don't mind that most of the time, but I was trying to be civil for the sake of their meeting. And so finally, I just, we took a break and took off. And I looked at Brent and I said, Brent, this is crazy. I mean, you're talking about, I was, I got to partner for five years with a Central Asian nation and have great friends over there. And to go over there and, and stand in that nation, it takes on average seven years of conversations for someone to come into relationship with Jesus. And to do that, they forsake all. The same's going on here, except it's just happening in weeks. And I'm sitting there going, wow, do you understand the stories that we have going here? I mean, this is like, that sits in here. Are you kidding me? Arabic-speaking people coming in. Are you kidding me? This is happening. And then, and then I had the I had the coolest moment, the the, the coolest moment, because I'm such a dork. Just in case you haven't figured that out, just put that in your notes and be comfortable with it. I am. I was. I walked up to this gentleman at the. He's standing at the door and he's got this great long beard. I can't grow a beard. I have like a baby face. I have bald spots right here. It's so depressing. I would love like that. And he's got this long beard. And so I immediately walk up. This is my dorkdom coming out. I immediately looked up and said, bro, you could be on Duck Dynasty. I mean, 
had no idea who I was talking to. Turns out this guy is from a Middle Eastern country. So I strike up this conversation. I'm in a dialogue. He's suffered greatly for his faith. And I start talking with him. And I'm just going, wow, can we scrap Duck Dynasty? I'm just going to stand and listen. I was standing with the Chet's Creek Mission Pastor. And both of us were just standing there and all going, we're just going to ask questions as long as you'll stand here and talk to us. Because, you know, he asked him, we started telling us, my, my role in life is to travel around to Arabic churches and encourage them in the faith. And with that has come great persecution. And we're not talking about over there, we're talking about here. I'm, I'm, I'm going around stepping into people's lives who when they say yes to Christ, they say no to every other person. And they step out into these little house churches that I walk around and encourage. And they forsake all. Students, this would be a good moment not to make your excuses because maybe us adults aren't doing it all. How about this? It requires forsaking for the sake of the gospel. It requires living for the sake of the gospel. And he's looking and saying, they counted the cost. They found the gospel worthy. And he said, he said, my job is to travel this country just to share that. And I'm going, wow. I just, I go place to place. And my friend looked at him. I can't remember his name. He said, so where do you live? And he said, I can't tell you. I live in the greater D.C. Beltway area. And I'm here because I'm dropping my son off to go to Daytona to spend the next year just walking the beaches and being Christ to people. And I'm going to also spend, I love his answer, however long God ordains for me to encourage the Arabic churches in Jacksonville. I'm just sitting going, here's my ending thought. Here's like you know the big left hook. Here's the big moment. Shouldn't every Bible study on Sunday have some stories like that? Seriously, should if if we are the church of Jesus Christ, if He is supreme among us, if He is the leader of this church and He is the firstborn from among the dead, if He has reconciled us to Himself through His blood and He has made peace with God for us, if we are redeemed in Him and we are free from accusation, and as we endure, because all those ifs are, yes, Lord, it's true. Then as we endure, we endure with the gospel at our center and the message of Jesus Christ exploding out. It would seem to me that we would not have the ability to story enough among us. I mean, we'd, we'd roll in our ABS going, our adult Bible study going, oh, wow, I just tell you, who Jesus is to me this week. Do you feel your story shrinking? Not so that you are insignificant, anything but Jesus sacrificed all to draw us to himself to flesh his life out. Not so that our stories increase, but that the name of Jesus Christ increases among us. I have my last note. I just have this. We have two conclusions to close this sucker out. Two conclusions. You ready? We have a name. This is Louis Giglio, a guy I love. This isn't mine. I just, I love this thought. We have a name. We should know our name well. We should know who we are. This is, in fact, a great book title. 
Our name is I am not. I'm not the center, I'm not the purpose, and I'm not the focus. But we also operate in and through another name. It is a vast name. Exodus 3.15 said it's the name from one generation to the next. The name of the I am. It is the name of the glorious one. It is the name that sets captives free, heals the sick, frees the imprisoned, leads us on vicious of glory. We live and move and be as a church under the I am. So I'm not, but I know I am. I am not, but I know the I am. He is the precious, glorious one. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much for your grace and your love. Thank you so much for your supremacy and sufficiency. Thank you so much for your gospel. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much that we don't even have to craft stories, that you're already writing them. We just get in on what you're doing. God, I pray that you will bring tenderized hearts to this worship encounter. I pray that you will take our hearts and massage them so that the only thing left is your name and your fame. God, I pray that there will be one thing that cries out from us, and it is Jesus Christ, King of glory. Oh God, I pray for a tenderness and a compassion in this room, a moving of your spirit and in presence among us. God, I pray that we will be your church, your people, your fame, your glory. God, I pray for a repentance and brokenness among us, a brokenness for the nations, a brokenness for the city, but more than anything, a brokenness for more of Jesus Christ. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Father. We're going to sing a song in just a moment.